Happy Saturday, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating today? Well, I'm celebrating someone that I celebrate every day, and that's Judy Garland. I can't believe that it was a year ago that the entire month of June was devoted to all things Judy Garland. Uh, every single uh, day throughout the month, I had various guests on the show, and we celebrated her in high style. So I thought that today, rather than opening with my usual opening, uh, I'm going to take you back to where we were a year ago. And here is the incredible montage uh, that was created for this show uh, by my dear friend, Jarrett Morley. Uh, enjoy. Here we are, Judy Garland, 101 years. It haunted me from the start Something inside of me started a symphony Sing with the strings of my heart Was like a breath of spring I heard a robin sing About a nest set apart Harmony, sing with the strings of my heart. Your eyes made sky seem blue again. What else could I do again? But keep repeating, through and through, I love you, love. I still recall the thrill. I guess I always will. I hope we'll never depart. seem blue again what else could I do again but keep repeating through and through I love you love you I still recall a thrill I guess I always will I hope to will never depart here with your lips to mine oh rhapsody divine Sing with the strings of mine. 
Wow, I can't believe it's been a year since we began that celebration. Well, today officially ends the 100-year centennial celebration, but the uh, celebrations will continue to go on, as you'll see throughout today's show. Uh, where did it begin? Uh, for me, uh, I was a little kid growing up in Conway, South Carolina. Those of you who follow me know this story, uh, but it began with the annual showings of The Wizard of Oz year after year after year. Some kids look forward to Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and Halloween. For me, it was The Wizard of Oz, and I could not rest each year until I knew that it would be returning that year. And even after I moved to New York in 1979, anytime The Wizard of Oz was shown annually before it was went to TCM and TNT or whatever the other, TBT, whatever the other channel is, uh, I would get phone calls from people that I went to high school with who were watching it with their children and now grandchildren who say that every time they see The Wizard of Oz, they think of me because it was such an integral part of my life. I was eight years old when Judy Garland passed away. And when I heard it on the news, I literally threw myself on the floor in our kitchen, screaming, I can't go on, I can't go on. And my mother took me and she shook me and she said, you don't even know this woman, why are you so upset? But there was something deep about what she did and she touched not only me, but she touched many young girls and young boys all over the country, I've heard similar stories. Well, a little over a year ago, we also celebrated Peter Allen. And that introduced me to a very special man that I'm going to tell you about in just a moment. But he also was touched by Judy Garland. And he wrote a letter to her. And she responded. And here it is. Dear Al, thank you for your lovely letter. I would be most happy to give you permission to form a fan club for me. Yes, my birthday is June 10th. I was delighted with my first Garland Gazette. If you need information from me for it, would you please be so kind to put it into the form of numbered questions, which I will try to answer. I have very few pictures in my collection, but I'm sending you one today, which I hope you all uh, that you will like. My plans for 1956 are indefinite as yet, with the exception of one television show for CBS. I sincerely hope you have a great deal of enjoyment with your club. Uh, well, there was one photograph that was not part of that collection, and here it is, because that's Albert Poland, and he is with us today, and I am so excited. Albert, your memoir, Stages, is still one of my favorite books, and I tell everybody they have to get it. But more exciting than the book itself is you, so I'm thrilled that you're here today. I am equally thrilled, Richard. So where did the love of Judy begin for you? If I remember correctly, uh, it began with you seeing, uh, well, a star is born. Am I correct? Absolutely. Yes. I, I uh, was 13 years old. Um, I, I had been, re I lived in the movie magazines because my family was uh, a Midwestern Republican family and I didn't connect with them at all. I campaigned. Familiar. Stevenson. <laughs> uh, and uh, so we never saw any of her movies. We went primarily to Westerns. Uh, my father chose the movies. Uh, and I lived in the movie magazines, as I said, and I began seeing things about Judy coming out and making a comeback in a movie called A Star is Born. And 
she had a kind of androgynous look at that time that really attracted me. I certainly didn't know the word, but I, I connected with the quality. Um, and I, uh, you know, made it in my business to see if I could go to this movie by myself. Uh, we're living in Indianapolis and, and uh, I finally, you know, secured permission. <laughs> and I got on the long bus ride down to the Indiana theater in the middle of downtown. And I walked in, I thought prophetically when she was singing someone at last, <laughs> which she was. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it was the uncut version. It was three hours and 12 minutes. I stayed through three showings. I, I was gone 10 hours by the end of the day. Uh, and <laughs> you I know, went, in those days, we didn't have cell phones or anything. Were your parents worried about you? or were, or was not, there... only wor not only worried about me. They did what good Midwestern parents did at that time. They called the police. So I always like to say they called the police, but it was too late. I had escaped. And Judy was my escape hatch. Uh, I went next door to the newsstand at the Indiana Theater and bought my first copy of Variety and, and realized that show business was now within my grasp and, a, and would be possible for me. Well, I want to ask you, I mean, I said for myself, you know, I grew up uh, with the annual showings of The Wizard of Oz. When Judy passed away in 1969, uh, one of our local stations began to run the concert uh, episodes of her TV series, which were like the last four episodes that she did. And so I saw those and that began to give me an introduction into Judy Garland that I did not know beyond The Wizard of Oz. Then in 1974, That's Entertainment comes out and nostalgia is sweeping the country. The very first Judy Garland book that I got was Al Diorio's Little Girl Lost. And then my aunt gave me Rainbow. And then from there on, uh, anytime a book would come out about Judy, and there were a few that came out all at the same time, some of them uh, with their own agendas, as we know now. Uh, but uh, that's how I began to really learn more about her. At that time, there wasn't a lot out there beyond seeing these movies, because once they were shown, they were shown and they moved on. How were you able to learn a little bit more about Judy beyond variety? Well, of course, you know, uh, she was still alive when I was alive. Um, and I uh, became obsessed. Uh, and I, 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 you know, I thought two things when I saw A Star is Born. I thought she was the most talented person I had ever seen, which I still think, mm -hmm. after working with many supremely gifted people. Um, Read about it in stages, everybody. <laughs> And the second thing I thought was that somehow she needed my help. And, and I think that's one of the things that we all loved about her. Here was this genius performing for us and we felt needed. And, and that was a very wonderful thing, I think. Um, so I, I thought about to join a fan club for her and there weren't any, I was shocked. I thought there would be hundreds of them. Um, so I found out that there was a book about how you start a fan club and what they are. And I sent away for it and I started the fan club. Um, and I soon found that the movie magazines wouldn't print our address unless we had a letter from the star giving us permission. So I began, you know, writing letters and they got sent back or I had never heard anything. Um, and we had three members and we had a summit meeting at my house uh, on the last day of 1955, actually. And we did, it was to determine what the future of the club would be. 
And one of them said, why don't we call her? And I thought, yes, my parents aren't home. It's perfect. <laughs> and, you know, in, in those days, a long distance call was very different than it is now. That's uh, right. You recall the call and meet me in St. Louis. They were something like that. You know, if, if a family had one or two a year, it was very major, you know. So a long distance call carried weight of its own, regardless of who it might be from. Um, so we got uh, we got in the uh, line with the operator and she was, you, you know, I had a list of places that I thought might have Judy's phone number. <laughs> And the operator was as excited as we were. Um, so we, you know, tried several places, Ciro's, Romanoff's, uh, and finally we got it from Warner Brothers. Uh, and I had typed up a script because I was terrified, but it was, you know, something that had to be done. Um, and someone answered the phone and I heard the operator song Long Distance is calling for Judy Garland, which was an incredible thing to hear. Uh, and they said, just a moment. And then this low musical voice came to the phone. There's only one like it in the entire world. Um, mm -hmm. And I started my spiel. I was read, uh, I read from my script, Miss Garland, I, my name is Al Poland. I'm president of a fan club for you. And she said, oh, a fan club for me? How wonderful. And I dropped the script and said, oh, Judy, I love you so much. <laughs> and, and we, we had a wonderful conversation for about five minutes. She asked me for my address. Uh, again, I was amazed. Um, I told her I wanted to go into show business and she was my inspiration. Um, and we, the conversation closed with, I, I said my goodbyes and she said, and Al, and I said, yes. She said, I want to wish you a happy new year. I said, oh, happy new year to you, Judy. <laughs> and two weeks later, the letter that you showed uh, arrived and Within three months, we had 3,000 members. We were in all the movie magazines. Um, and you know, there was no Xerox in those days. So the miraculous thing was that all the magazines returned the letter to me and I still have it to this day. Well, you know, last night I watched this great documentary, which I recommend uh, called International Mail. Have you seen it all mail about the how the magazine started and everything? And it was very much like, you know, in those days they didn't have uh, the capability of recreating things on the level that we do now. So it was literally like all these people, you know, pasting the pictures together, getting everything out, getting it out there. Um, so you're the president of this fan club, um, but you've got all these other members. How many people were actually doing uh, the legwork to get everything out to the membership? Well, we... <laughs> Well, you know, we had four Garland Gazettes a year. That was the fan club journal. I typed them myself on stencils. And if you have ever typed a stencil and made a mistake, I don't wish it on anyone. There's some kind of gelatin that you paint on it and then you type it again and it makes a hole. You know, it's, it isn't particularly fun. Um, but anyway, we managed to get four journals a year out. Um, and as Judy said in the letter, they were called the Garland Gazette. And, you know, soon I was getting 60 letters a day and I engaged the girls that lived on either side of me to help answer the mail. I mean, it was, you know, it was just a thrilling undertaking. I mean, it, it, may, it gave my life significance to me and, and importance, I thought, you know, and, uh, and it pulled me into the world that I had been reading about. Um, you know, we had honorary members in the club. Uh, we invited people to join Frank Sinatra, Lauren Bacall, Liza, of course, uh, Lorna and Joe. Um, 
you know, it was a very, very exciting time. But ultimately, after about a year, uh, my schoolwork was starting to suffer. And, and I realized that I needed to have a life. Um, and so there was a woman named Pat McMath who had tried to start a club for Judy in 1949. And Judy's manager, Carlton Alsup, had sent her a, a letter saying her hold on the public is sufficient. We don't need a fan club. Um, so, you know, and Pat had been a very active member and was very, very uh, industrious. And, mm -hmm. and she was assistant to the superintendent of schools in Richmond, Indiana. So she was surrounded by an office. Um, so I, I asked her to take over the club, which she did. And I would have to say that I think under her guidance, it became the, the best fan club uh, in the country. Um, she, she, sta she staged conventions. People could make hotel reservations. Um, she, you know, arranged backstage visits. She had a wonderful rapport with Judy. Uh, Judy used to send her handwritten letters. Um, and, uh, you know, the, I, I, I met Judy for the first time at one of the conventions in Detroit. And that's where that photo was taken that you showed. Mm -hmm. And my goodness, you know, what, what an exciting time. We saw three performances. We were in Judy's dressing room twice and backstage with her. In addition to that, that's where that picture was taken. Mm -hmm. um, the picture was taken as the as the orchestra was playing the overture. The man that got away was playing while that photo was taken. Wow. There was no one to take it. And Judy yelled out, Sid, you take it. So the photo was taken by Sid Loved. Wow. Um, tell us a little bit about that first encounter. Um, you know, some, some people say uh, when you meet your idols, they either live up to your expectations, they surpass the expectations, or it's a big letdown. Obviously, it was not a big letdown when you met Judy Garland for the first time. Uh, but what was that in first encounter like? Well, you know, that was a time when stars were stars. Uh, and, and they were stars 24 hours a day. Um, they didn't look like somebody working in their garden next door. You know, they, they, were, they were gods and goddesses. Um, and, you know, we, and Judy was a goddess, but she was also accessible. And and casual when we went into her dressing room she was scraping the black off of her teeth she had done her tramp number mm -hmm. and drinking gin and a, a drinking miller high life and a gin chase <laughs> <laughs> today's national gin day now that you say that, oh, I just that this morning so hello judy you know, and, and, and talking to us and i had the incredibly uh, dubious taste of presenting her with a bootleg of the album of annie get your gun by her she had been fired from the film, but had recorded the soundtrack. I don't know what was in my mind, but she opened it and looked at it and said, oh, Annie, get your gun. And she raised her eyebrow and said, I wasn't available for that picture. And then she said, available, I was fired. You know, I mean, that was a very candid moment, you know, for her to share. And um, So she was obviously a very down to earth, personable person. Uh, she, was also, she was also Judy Garland. It was Judy Garland. Down to the earth person being filtered through Judy Garland. Um, and there was a crippled girl with us, and Judy saw her and reached reached out for her and, and hugged her. Uh, and, the, and the girl cried, and Judy said, don't you cry or I'll cry too. Uh, and just then Alan King stuck his head in the door, and she introduced all of us with special attention to the crippled girl. Um, and Alan, everybody know and he used to open for Judy. Yes, he did. He was the final act of the vaudeville, you know, mm -hmm. numbers uh, before before her part of the show. 
Um, you know, and then, you know, we had the picture taken the next day uh, and she was late for the matinee and Alan was pacing back and forth smoking during intermission because I realized that if she didn't show up, he would make the announcement, you know, and, uh, and, and we, I told him, I said, she promised us a picture, you know, with her. And she came, she came like at the last minute and rushed in and she just said, I've got to do my show. And Alan followed her in afterward and then came back and he said, come on, we're going to get your picture. And Alan King took us in and and she emerged from the dressing room. She said, oh, yes, your picture. And that's when she asked Sid to take it. Wow. (laughs) Uh, You mentioned early on that, you know, when you first were reaching out to Judy, that you thought, as many people did, that they could you could save her. How much did you know? At that point, we didn't have the books. We didn't have the tabloids like we do now. But how much did you know about what was going on in her personal life? I, I'm, and I'm talking about early, early on in her career. I mean, at that time. I, I think that I was pretty aware of what was going on. Uh, the, you know, when she was making her comeback, the, the magazine point of view was to show what she had been through. And now she was coming back. Um, so that was offered. And. And once I became president of the fan club, I, I had, I don't know what, I can't tell you what they were, but I had ways of keeping very close tabs on what was going on with her, mm-hmm. you know. And as the years went on and things got a little tougher, uh, did it make it, did it put a strain also on your uh, relationship with Judy? Well, the last time I, I, I Again, you know, spent time backstage with her in 1959 when she was doing her tour of opera houses at the, she was the Chicago Lyric Opera House. Uh, and we had some wonderful exchanges. You know, I, I remember <laughs> saying, I love the dance steps you did during Chicago. And she said, oh, I didn't even know I was doing them. I was probably trying to keep myself awake. You know, I thought, wow giving that kind of performance while trying to keep yourself awake. I just couldn't put the two together, you know? Um, and I didn't see her again until I had become a producer and I got the rights to the three penny opera. I got Lottie Lanyon to get us a free option for 90 days from Tams with Mark, um, with the thought that Judy would play Jenny on a tour. Her career was in the doldrums at that moment. It was 1967. And, um, we would, I would give her the Mac the knife song, and, and uh, you can't let a man walk over you. And, and I thought it will give her enough time off stage that it won't be the stress of a concert, you know, da, 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 da. Um, and so I kept, you know, sending letters again. It was sort of like when I was trying to get permission for the fan club and nobody, you know, every I kept re- reaching last week's lawyer, you know. Well, if you see her, you know, tell her she owes me money. It didn't, it didn't sound promising. No. And one night I was sitting in Jilly's with a friend and she said, you will never guess who just came in. And it was Judy. And I said to myself, it's now or never. I went over to her table, said, hello, I'm Al Poland from your fan. She said, darling, sit down. And she was with Tom Green and she kept touching my face and she was very dear and sweet, but she was very incoherent. Uh, and she was very different than the person I had met 10 years before. Um, and I perceived that if I were to go ahead with this project, I would be her babysitter, not a relationship I wanted with Judy Garland at all. Um, so I didn't even bring up the Three Penny Opera, and the next day I dropped the option. Wow! And, and that is the last time that I uh, that I uh, mixed with her personally. I did. I saw her on stage many times, 
after that. Some some good and some not so good. Um, mm -hmm. I, I did, of course, see Carnegie Hall, um, uh, which I thought your your uh, recording of Sing with the Strings of My Heart was from Carnegie. But when she said, I do recall the thrill, that was a different lyric than she used at Carnegie. Mm -hmm. You know, fans remember those details. Yes. So it's not from the Carnegie Hall performance. I don't know where it was from. I, I don't know that I've ever heard it before, really. Uh, I think it's from Amsterdam, believe it or not. That makes sense. That makes yes. complete sense. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, and anyway, the Carnegie Hall performance was the most exciting evening I've ever spent in a theater. It was just, it was volcanic. I, I don't know what other word to just use to describe it. Uh, where were you when you heard that she had passed on? Oddly enough, uh, I was producing a show, an off-Broadway show called Peace, and I had gone through all of my money, and I was living on 6th Street and Avenue B. Mm. <laughs> and just to show you the duality, I was sharing, uh, I was sharing a, a house on Fire Island with some friends, and somebody from the house called me and said, did you hear the news? Judy died. Um, and it was around, I guess, 10 in the morning on a Sunday. Uh, and uh, I was relieved because I felt she was had been very tortured during the last years of her life. And I mm -hmm. hope she had at last found peace, you know. Um, <clears throat> and and the audience, we, we did something at the end of the two performances of Peace that day. Um, the actor playing Hermes came forward and said, ladies and gentlemen, if you please, a great artist has died today, Judy Garland. Uh, and then we sang Over the Rainbow with the audience joining. Wow. Wow. Uh, well, a lot's, you know, I mean, the celebrations keep going and going and going and going. Um, since her passing, uh, those celebrations continue to go. And of course, you were involved with the show The Boy from Oz. Uh, you know, seeing her portrayed by so many different people over the years. Um, your thoughts on what people really get when they are going after presenting her? Well, it seems like <laughs> everyone who plays her either wins or is nominated for an award. It's almost, <laughs> it's almost a shoe in you know. Um, I mean, I, I love Isabel Keating in our show. Um, mm -hmm. And, and I'll never forget the moment when the director, Phil McKinley, said to me, go and go and stand under that the box over there and just stand there and wait. And Isabel arrived in her Judy Garland gear for the first time. And the two of us looked at each other and cried. Um, it was just uh, a, a wonderful moment. Um, and I have to say that, uh, you know, I, I believe that her legacy endures probably more than most any other star, uh, a, 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 you know, movie star and in-person star. And and I think that two of the reasons for that are John Fricke and Buzz Stevens. I, I think that John Fricke is a god. Um, well, I will say, I will never forget, John, if you're watching the show, I love him. I want him to be on this show uh, for the longest. I just love him so much. And I and I totally agree with you with what he has done with her legacy. I'll never forget walking into his apartment the first time and seeing, you know, his collection. And that was before his first book came out. So that's how long we've known each other. Um, so his love of her 
uh, is palpable and it's very much there. You know, getting back to uh, Phil McKinley, you know, for a moment, uh, my husband, Danny, who you've met, is a landscape architect and he worked with him years ago. And he came to home one day and he says, do you know this guy? And and I didn't really know, this was before Boy From Oz, but he also had the rights to Ann Edwards' book. And for a long, long time, he wanted to musicalize that. It never happened uh, for whatever reasons. Well, uh, what, what did happen was he did a staged reading of it uh, at Paper Mill Playhouse, which is a theater that holds 2,500 people. Mm -hmm. it, it did. They did two performances of the stage reading and the house <clears throat> was packed with 25 people to see a reading. <laughs> so I said, she still is a draw, you know, and and I thought it was very fine. I'm not a big fan of Ann Edwards' book. I, I prefer uh, uh, the Finch book, Rainbow. I think yeah. I, that's the best of the lot. Um, but getting back to John Fricke, um, uh, he, he has just maintained her legacy with taste, intelligence, and 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 the furtherance of her own energy, you know, in his books, and and that unforgettable concert years uh, special that he did on PBS, and also the biography that he was heavily involved with. And uh, and Buzz, you know, has a website called the Judy Garland Experience. He's on, he, he's up at three in the morning putting, posting new things on it, you know, and, and it has 10,000 subscribers. So I just give these two gentlemen enormous love and credit uh, for, for, you know, just maintaining something that I think is as worthy as anything can be. Well, you mentioned, I, you mentioned, of course, seeing A Star is Born for the first time and seeing the unedited, uh, the uncut version. And then in 1983, uh, when they restored the film uh, to the best of their ability uh, with the clips, uh, with the seals in it, uh, Radio City Music Hall did their, uh, did it for uh, one evening. And I was there that night. Uh, were you there that night as well? I was also there. I happened to be the general manager of the original production of Little Shop of Horrors. And Howard Ashman and I both loved Judy. He gave me a, a Judy doll that he had made for me uh, for as a Christmas gift. And he called me, said, I have a special present for the two of us. And I said, what is that? And he had two tickets to the showing. Uh, and we went together. And of course, you know what it was like. Uh, oh, my God. We, we ran in. It's, that evening is so vivid in my memory. We ran, we ran into Helen Hayes, who was with Morty Gottlieb afterward. Morty was a close friend of mine. And, and Helen Hayes said this was like a Broadway opening night, you know, and and Marty Gottlieb introduced Howard and I and said, Miss Hayes, if you ever want to come back into the theater, these are the gentlemen you should see. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> I sat in front of Faye Kanan and James Mason. And that when James Mason came in and sat in the seat behind me, my heart was going ba-boom, 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 ba-boom. And uh, just to be able to, after the film was over, and he, he, I mean, his face, the tears were streaming down his face. And it was just an incredible moment that I will never forget. Well, I want to do, I'm going to share a few clips uh, that uh, with you. And, uh, and uh, if you're not a fan of the clips, don't say that you're not. Of the grips, uh, but I am as, as long as you don't show anything from the pirates. Uh, 
you, you don't like the pirate. I do not. Well, I'm going to have to scrap that one then. No, I I actually like the pirate. Uh, I like the film. Uh, but I've just pulled a few clips of uh, other people celebrating Judy. And I'll start with one of my favorites. And this is Charles Bush, um, If Love Were All. I love this. But I'd like to introduce you <laughs> to my new dear friend, the one and only Charles Bush. <laughs> And I was eight years old. Now you're doing the math. And, I, 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 and it's obvious I, I, he looks pretty good. Help him, what happened? Well, sitting there, she was on. Uh, I was watching the Oscars when I was eight years old. And, uh, and, and she was singing a Cole Porter medley. And my father. Uh, Explained that that was Judy Garland, that was Dorothy, grown up, and I was just mesmerized. And from that moment on, I've been a devout believer of Judaism. I like to sing a lovely song that she sang at Carnegie Hall, and it was written by her dear friend Noel Coward. I believe in doing what I can, crying when I must, laughing when I choose. I hope if love were all, I would be lonely. I believe the more you love a man, the more you give your trust. Like I said before, she touched so many of us in so many different ways. Well, I was very touched by Charles in that clip. I've never seen it before. Um, oh, wow. 
and I, uh, you know, of course, did uh, the lady in question with Charles, uh, which was, I thought, one of his very finest performances. Um, and you know, I'm going to tell you a little, <laughs> very personal moment that I had with Charles. Uh, he and Andy Holiday came over to my apartment to be, they wanted to see my Judy clip collection. And it happened to be, I, as you know, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I have 35 years. It happened to be the very first day of my sobriety. And I was oozing alcohol out of my pores. And Charles <laughs> remarked, I love Judy fans. When they're showing her, they get so concerned that they just sweat. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, you know, for a brief moment, and I do mean very brief. I don't know if you've ever seen this. I performed as Judy. It was 27 years ago. Here I am. Wow. That was me. <laughs> and I performed in Atlantic City at uh, uh, Mr. 45's Taj Mahal. And uh, one night, th this was towards the end of my run, I was going back to the, uh, I was going to my dressing room and a woman on the boardwalk flicked her cigarette and it hit me right in the eye. And I've never felt pain like I felt at that moment. And I got to the theater and I said, I need to see the lighting designer, uh, director, get him in here. And I said, do not hit me with the spotlight. Because if you hit me with the spotlight, the pain is going to be just too intense. Well, it was computerized and they couldn't stop it. So I am sitting on the piano singing uh, Over the Rainbow and the spotlight hits me and they have these huge screens on both sides of the stage and the tears started streaming down my face and the audience was just going crazy because they thought it was just one of the most dramatic moments but it was all because of the cigarette in my eye but uh i've got another clip that i want to show this is jennifer grimm and jennifer grimm said this to me i i posted on facebook to send me clips uh and she is singing actually today. She's doing a concert uh, in Grand Rapids, Minnesota at the Judy Garland Museum, uh, which has been in the news a lot lately, uh, if you've been paying attention, because they finally found the ruby slippers uh, that were stolen from the museum a few years ago. Uh, but this is Jennifer Grimm, uh, who's performing today at uh, in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. So if you see this later, Jennifer, I wish you a wonderful performance today. Every trick of his, you're all in But fools will be fools, and where's people to the it's lonelier and tougher. Just no let up, live long night, and turn since this world began, there is nothing sad Oh, one man 
voice. Well, I like that very much. It's an authentic performance, uh, mm -hmm. and, and she has some set of pipes. Uh, I, I, I hate these sort of plastic imitations, but but hers is an authentic performance, which I really did enjoy. You mentioned earlier that uh, you didn't like uh, the pirate. The pirate. I I happen to enjoy the movie The Pirate, uh, but uh, you know, out of all of her film work. Uh, is there a performance beyond A Star is Born that really stands out the most for you? Uh, well, there are moments, uh, you know, the Get Happy number in Summer Stock is an absolute genius uh, all, all around, in, including the, the conception of it. Um, I think Meet Me in St. Louis is just an exquisite film all, all, overall. Uh, I love, uh, you know, performances. I like... Uh, um, I, I like her her songs in the Broadway Melody of 1938 when she sings Everybody Sing. I like uh, Down on Melody Farm. You know, I liked the early days of her fat voice. Uh, somebody thinned it out in the 40s and, and she gained back the fat by performing in person. You know, uh, I, I think I think her performing, her performing at the palace brought her back to her truth. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think one of the things that makes her timeless is she always performed the truth of the material and her truth at the moment she was performing it. And I think that packs a wallop. I think that's very powerful. Uh, and of course, you were at Carnegie Hall, uh, 1961, uh, April 20. Were you at the, uh, 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 the April 23rd performance? But of course. Well, she, well, of course you were. And uh, she did come back and do it again uh, the following month. Uh, but that performance, uh, just talk about the palpability of what was going on in the air that night. Um, Carol Channing, you know, was there that night as well. And she told me that it was something that she would stay with her the rest of her life. Well, I, I, I like the way Ann Miller described uh, her as a performer, that she had a force field around. Mm -hmm. You know, she had something that no one else had. Uh, and and really, many of many fine artists, uh, in, in, you know, performing artists have observed it. You know, Whoopi Goldberg said, "When Judy sings, God speaks." You know, Aretha Franklin was a huge admirer of hers. I mean, Edward Albee, Tennessee Williams, Mike Nichols felt that the only two, you know, uh, performers that moved the earth in 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 the 20th century were Judy and Marlon Brando. You know, I mean, interesting. Well, wow. Tennessee Williams, you know, said similar, you know, things about her. So, you know, she was uh, she was acclaimed by the acclaimed, uh, deservedly. And you know, she, you know, there's a very interesting. Um, with John Fricky tells this story that he went to uh, he went to schools uh, showing clips of her to young kids. And these are kids that have been raised on hip hop music, uh, inner city schools. And he, the clip of her singing uh, Old Man River uh, is such a riveting moment from her TV series. And he said, the kids just sit there with their mouths agog because it's like something that they had never even experienced before uh, in terms of the way that they experience music nowadays. Well, if you you can go on YouTube and uh, there are these uh, I don't know what you call them uh, um, comment commenters on on singing performances mm -hmm. 
and, and there are many of her performances on there, and they are very contemporary people making the commentary. Uh, and they're just blown away. Um, you know, Old Man River is one of them, uh, as long as he needs me, and of course, the duet with Barbara. You know, uh, I'll never forget watching that on the original broadcast, and I just sat there and said, well, the torch has been passed. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I, and I do remember, you know, still, you know, I'm old enough to remember, you know, seeing, you know, when she would be making an appearance uh, uh, on a talk show or something. And it was, it was an event uh, anytime that she showed up. Uh, I was, the other day I was watching uh, once again, her on the Johnny Carson show. This was when he was here on the East coast and she's performing uh, in Homedale and she's talking and uh, he says, well, where exactly is it? And she says, I, I don't know. I just show up and say, and someone from the audience yells out exactly where it's located. Yes, I, I, I saw that clip recently too, and of course I was at the opening night in Homedale. Um, well, you know, just, I remember her. I remember her looking out over this vast audience in the middle of nowhere, and when she sang the trolley sound, she sang to the end of the line. <laughs> well, she also, you know, Johnny brought up this, Mr. Carson, uh, about. Uh, this connection between her and her fans. She truly loved her fans. Well, it was a, it was a love fest. <laughs> you know, I, I think, I think we, we felt the need and we felt needed. Um, you know, I, I remember that, you know, one of the, one of the most moving things to me about her passing was I no longer had the possibility of attending another Judy Garland performance which was something very special that brought another dimension to my life uh, that was now not ever going to be possible again. Well, Garland aside, is there any other performer that you, or entertainer, I don't want to use the word performer, she was an entertainer. Uh, was there any other entertainer in your lifetime uh, that, ca I mean, that came anywhere close to what she uh, did uh, with an audience? And again, Think about this, walking out, singing songs uh, with an orchestra behind her, no special effects. It was just Judy Garland singing these songs. Uh, and But any other entertainer that has uh, touched you with the same ferocity? The very closest I have experienced was Bruce Springsteen. Wow. Uh, I saw him at the Academy of Music on 14th Street early in his career, and he was just, he was totally electrifying. And then I saw a, a performance that I believe lasted about six hours. It was the famous Halloween performance in L.A. He made his entrance in a mummy case. Um, he, he performed with the same electricity and, and generosity. You know, to me, generosity is a part of talent. And he's a generous performer. They just give it away. They have to. Um, and, and so he's the closest. Um, and I guess a third would be John Leguizamo when he was in Freak at the Atlantic Theater. Yes, yes, yes. That, that was just uh, an outsized uh, performance. Um, unfortunately, I didn't feel that he captured that excitement in the in the video of it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, for whatever the reason was. Uh, but I but I will never forget that night at the Atlantic Theater Company. It was very very special. Um, you know, in an, in a, in another vein uh you know in a kind of another category in other words uh 
artistic, you know, brilliance, but not the kind of excitement. I mean, Sinatra was capable of being a great and, and in-person performance, but, but, you know, he didn't galvanize the audience in the way Judy was. It was a very different thing, mm-hmm. but it was superb. Um, you know, I saw him three times and two of the times uh, he was in top four. I had tickets to see Frank Sinatra and Shirley MacLaine together at Radio City Music Hall. And uh, the morning of the concert, we got a phone call that he had pneumonia and they were going to be rescheduling as soon as they knew what his schedule would be and they would be able to uh, exchange those tickets. He never performed again. So I never saw him live. And that's a big regret of mine. It's a huge regret of mine that I never saw uh, Judy performed live. Well, her, her live, you know, her, her recordings, even the ones that are just magnificent, cannot compare to her in person. You you don't get the power of the voice in the same way. Uh, and, and when she was at her peak, there was no air in the voice. I'm a singer, so I know these terms. Uh, mm-hmm. Solid tone. She could open a note at pianissimo and swell it to full fortissimo. And it was like a wall of steel coming out over the audience. Um, I mean, I've never, ever experienced anything like it. Being in the position that you're in, and again, I want to mention your book once again, Stages, uh, and uh, incredible uh, memoir. Charles Bush, by the way, his book is coming out any day now. Uh, Here it is. I'm going to bring this up on the screen. Uh, I want to ask you, uh, and... uh, be careful when I answer this. Uh, but uh, being in the unique position that you're in, uh, we hear all the time of new books coming out, new projects, uh, new Broadway shows, maybe a film here or there um, that have to do with Judy. Um, do you get excited or are you pretty much jaded at this point about what's coming our way until you see the project? Well, I either get excited, depending on who is involved, or curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that the uh, the film, uh, I can't think of the actress's name. She won the Academy Award. I'm sure you can remember. Renee Zellweger. Yes. Uh, you know, that was in the curious category. I, mm-hmm. I wasn't much looking forward to it, but I did see it. And, and I liked it much better than I, I expected to. That um, was my situation. When I first heard that she was doing it, I, I had no desire to see it, but once I, I saw it, I felt I felt she evoked the Judy of that period, the one that I encountered at Jilly's, without doing an imitation, and I thought that was very skillful. Um, I thought that the vocal performances were embarrassing; mm-hmm. they had they had no relationship to anything I ever saw Judy do, at all, either physically or vocally. Um, uh, you know, and I didn't care about you know changing the story and this and that. I'm not one of those people that fusses over that i just i i I look for the essence you know and and i felt i felt she did capture an essence in her uh in her uh performance you know of the dialogue is there anything that you know of that's coming up that you're excited about well my my dear friend stevie phillips has written a six uh, episode series that she hopes to get on streaming it's based on her book uh you know stevie traveled with judy uh, and the Carnegie Hall tour and, and knew her intimately at that time, uh, and also became Liza's, uh, agent and manager. And she, you know, Stevie packaged the films of the way we were, uh, cabaret and, uh, 
Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I mean, she was, you know, she was uh, one of the killer agents of the 70s, you know. Um, anyway, she's, uh, you know, she has, she's written a, a brilliant series uh, based on the book. And I, and I really will look forward to seeing that, you know. Um, is it going to be a documentary series or is it going to be a drama? No, it'll be, it'll be, you know, a drama. It'll be, uh, you know, with actors and actresses. You know, and 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 there there are fans who don't like what Stevie wrote. Um, I I am of the ilk of I want to know everything I can about Judy, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Just because I think, I think she's just such a dazzling talent. I want to know all the ingredients. Um, so that's how I view it. Well, uh, Matt Howe is here watching the show, and I don't know if you're familiar with Matt, uh, everyone, but Matt is uh, to Barbara Streisand what John Fricke is to Judy Garland. And his books are wonderful. He has an incredible book. He's been on the show uh, before. And uh, and we've talked about this. I mean, Judy and Barbara as well, they have a fan base uh, that is very much like, uh, well, I hate to say it, like you know who, who was formerly in the White House. This fan base who nothing that they could ever do was ever wrong and they put them on a pedestal and they don't want to see the the human aspects of who they are um stevie obviously chose to and this is stevie's story by the way that she's telling um and so i respect that i respect that she has her story to tell um what was the response when her book came out? Uh, because she told it as it was in her own words. Well, I think you could call it a mixed response. You know, uh, some there were people who who loved it and and were grateful for the candid, you know, nature of, of her observations, and there were others who didn't didn't want to know about that image of Judy, you know, or or some probably even disbelieved it, you know. Um, I mean, one of the, you know, there were many, there have been many books written about Judy. Stevie's is one of the few written by an eyewitness. You know, she was on the receiving end, you know, um, and, and, that, and that to me makes it very special. I won't say who it is, but years ago, I interviewed Christina Crawford. And when I interviewed her, um, my interview was not about Joan Crawford. Uh, it was about her life since Mommy Dearest had come out. And I asked her uh, if the movie had hurt her uh, or helped her in terms of the message that she wanted to get out. And she gave a very interesting uh, take on that. She said, the movie is told through the eyes of a movie star. My book is told through the eyes of a child. And whether you believe that happened or not, this was her story to tell. And when I interviewed her, I interviewed her with that in mind. I did not make any judgment on whether I believed her or not. And I will keep that to myself. Uh, but one very well-known person in the business was so furious with me for even taking the time to interview her that he completely cut me out of his life. Wow. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you, Albert, for being here. And, you know, we've got to get together, you know, so pick a date and a time and let's, I want to have you here for dinner. I'll get you here. I'll get you back home and everything. Well, we got to make it happen. Uh, I think the world of you, and uh, I love your book, and I love the fact that you said yes uh, on uh, short notice of being here today. Um, 
I am going to give my closing remarks and then I'm going to let you follow me with your closing remarks and then we'll let Judy in the show uh, because I think that's the appropriate way to go uh, today. I want to thank you all for being here today uh, as uh, we celebrate these artists. Uh, you can celebrate Judy today by listening to her music, which I've been listening to all morning. Uh, watch her films. Uh, watch her television series. Read these books and form your own opinions. But if you're reading John Fricke's books, you're going to get a celebration of who she is. Uh, so I'm so glad that Albert brought up John's name today. And if Stevie wants to come on this show, Albert, let her know. I'd love to have her here. I'd love to celebrate her as well. Uh, I end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Pick up the phone and call someone that you haven't spoken to in a long time. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, a phone call. Better yet, do a FaceTime call. That's even better. Uh, and share with them uh, your favorite Judy songs, your favorite Judy moments, your favorite Judy uh, performances. Uh, they'll be glad that you reached out to them. Uh, I have a dear friend. He says, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different size boats. And I always say, I don't care what size boat you're on as long as you have a skipper by your side. And with that, I'm going to leave the screen and Albert, it's all yours. And when you uh, say goodbye, uh, we will hear from Judy. It's all yours. Well, it's always a privilege for me to embrace my beloved Judy, uh, and to uh, embrace her with you, Richard, and, and your particular wonderful spirit is even more of a privilege. Uh, I've loved being here, and I thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, what can you say? The great Judy Garland. There's no one else my heart adores 
Oh! 